Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Mind Link Podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined this week by just Ken. Ken Levin, how you doing, man? Good, good. How are you? Good, good. Um, happy Hanukkah also for everybody out there who is celebrating Hanukkah. Tonight is the first night and all week. Um, so I had a pro and excedent trade, but there's no point really. It's just the two of us. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> We'll just move on then. Yeah, we'll save that for next week. Yeah, we'll save uh, that for next week, and we'll move on now to some literal minor news that the Mets made. Uh, They signed Abraham Almonte to a minor league deal with an invitation to spring training. He's he's a journeyman. He's been basically in the league since 2013. He's played for the Mariners, the Indians, Kansas City Royals, Arizona Diamondbacks, Padres, Braves, Boston – and besides for playing on those teams, obviously he also played in their many, many, many minor league affiliates. Uh, he's basically been a he's a quad A guy. Basically, he's just kind of bumped up and down over the course of his career. In the majors, he has a career 235, 302, 374 batting line, and in AAA, he is a career 290, 392, 498 hitter. Based on Fangraph's defensive metrics in the limited innings that he's played in the major leagues, he is a 
kind of nothing special fielder, but he is able to stand in center field and move. So he is a body, I guess. And assuming that there are no other moves right now and, you know, nobody really stands out in spring training, I guess it's between Abraham Almonte and Khalil Lee for that kind of backup center fielder slash guy off the bench. I don't even know if I prefer either guy, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, you'd hope it wouldn't come to that. Yeah. But we'll see. I mean, at least Khalil Lee is young-ish and is prospect-y. And, you know, you could say, all right, there's some potential. And at least also he is a better fielder than Ibrahim Almonte. I mean, we don't have the defensive metrics in his case, whereas we do Almonte. And Almonte's is basically net neutral, slight negative. Clearly, you know, very uh, very limited we got to see of him, you know, visually. But he's looked like a solid center fielder. I mean, he's speedy. He has range. I never saw him do anything particularly dumb <laughs> in the outfield, you know. Mm-hmm. And I guess he also has... I don't really know how to put it, but soft skills that work better on the bench. You know, again, he is fast. He could steal the occasional base if he's uh, like a backup guy that gets switched in, at least. Whereas Almonte does not really have anything. But presumably both of these guys are going to be spending the majority of the season in uh, Syracuse. So hopefully... All of our three outfielders, Brendan Nimmo, Marcana, Starling Marte, they spend majority of the time on the field, in the outfield. You have to see Lees and the Abraham Amantes and everybody else keep that to a minimum. Your lips to God's ears. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, it's been a pretty slow week. Then no other moves that were made by the Mets after their flurry of activity during the winter meetings in that week. Supposedly, they were in on Carlos Correa. At least they showed interest. And Steve Cohen, you know, whether or not he was, it was legitimate about it or not, showed interest and said the Mets wanted Correa. But that would have been crazy if they followed everything up last week with signing Correa this week. Yeah. That felt like a favor to Scott Boris, though, you know, like run up the bill on Correa. (laughs) (laughs) He is worth it, though. I mean, I know that Correa is, yeah, like I know that he is obviously, you know, perennial all-star, one of the better players in the league in like, you know, the late 2010s and, and early 2020s. But, you know, he doesn't play. You know, he's in a different league and different division where we don't see him all that often. So I kind yeah. of like I have definitely underrated how good he is. He's always kind of been like a conceptually good player, like, you know, oh, yeah, he is good. But then you look at the numbers and it's like, damn, he's he is good. Yeah. Legitimately very good player. Yeah. So good for him. Good for his payday. Um. But yeah, none of the other free agent signings that have been made the last couple of days, the mink, the minks, the Mets were not linked to anybody. So that is what it is. 
So um, moving on now to the meat and potatoes of this week. The Mets did show interest, and obviously they followed through on that interest <laughs> by signing him. But, um, you know, they, they signed Kota Senga last week. And that snapped a streak going back years and years and years of non-activity in Asia. And that's something that we have bemoaned for individually years and definitely as long as this podcast has existed. Um, we, we mentioned it last week on the show. Basically, the last notable player from Asia that the Mets signed was Ryota Irigashi, who pitched in 2010 and 2011. And... No offense against Ryota Iragashi or anything like that, but, you know, he's notable with an asterisk. You know, he was he was solid in Japan, but as a relief pitcher, you always have that kind of artificial ceiling, you know. But in the interim between when the Mets signed Iragashi, they missed out on a bunch of notable players. Nori Aoki, Yu Darvish, Hassan Kim... Jung Ogang, Hisashi Iwakuma, Yusei Kikuchi, Kenta Maeda, Sang Hwan Oh, most notably, obviously, Shohei Otani, Hyujin uh, Ryu, Seiya Suzuki, Masahiro Tanaka. That's a lot of really good players. And then all the other players that, you know, the expectations were kind of high, but they just didn't actually turn out all that great. That's a lot of talent that the Mets just kind of casually were like, eh. A couple of those players we know, at least the Wilpon Mets, were interested in, did show some interest, although we don't actually know how genuine that kind of interest was. But, you know, between Cohen throwing millions of dollars, well, not millions, hundreds of millions of dollars around on some of the free agents that were signed and saying that choosing the Mets over, you know, other possible destinations, like it's it's refreshing to see that A, the Mets are are interested in, in signing players that are coming out of Asia, and B, that those players are interested in coming to the Mets. You know, obviously being in New York, that's kind of a, a thing, and the odds of uh, a player getting secondary, you know, deals with other things are are better in New York than they are in. What, what Oakland? I don't know. What's the, actually the smallest market? Like Tampa Bay, I guess. Probably. Yeah. So, just by virtue of the Mets being the Mets, you know, they'll have always have a one up on places like that. But it's nice to see that you know the team is being invested in, and other players from not only around the country but around the world are seeing that. And you know, hopefully in the future, that means that other potential players will interested in the Mets and over the next couple of years there are going to be quite a few talented guys coming over um we don't know for certain some of these guys we're going to discuss now we don't know for certain if they will be available because you know there's a lot to dissect and a lot to think about when you want to basically make that trends basically that's a global move but um so only gonna kind of bring up the big and and notable names because obviously there are a bunch of part-time players and relievers or guys that profile as back-end starters you know that 
conceptually could come to America and could possibly play and succeed. But those guys are a dime a dozen in the U.S. So, you know, signings like that, the uh, the Ken Takahashis of the world and the Hisanori Takanashis of the world, you know, aren't necessarily noteworthy. Although we do love ourselves some some talk one and talk two. So there are, besides Sorsenga Kodai, uh, a couple of guys that are still actually free agents right now this this year. Um, first one, and I guess the most notable name, is Shintaro Fujinami. And he was posted by the Hanshin Tigers uh, about two weeks ago, the beginning of December. The Diamondbacks, the Giants, and the Red Sox, they've all reportedly shown interest in him. No other team has been named publicly, but, you know, you never know. Uh, Fujinami was selected by a bunch of teams in the 2012 MPB draft, and the Tigers won his rights. And actually, if you look at the, the, some of the names in that draft, that was one hell of a draft. Um, in 2012, the Tigers took Fujinami, the, uh, the Carp, they took Seiya Suzuki, the Golden Eagles took Takahiro Norimodil, who was a former Rookie of the Year and a five-time All-Star. Uh, the Swallows, they took our old friend Yasuhiro Ogawa. And the Giants, they took Tomohiro Sugano. And the Nippon Ham Fighters, they took Shohei Otani. So, goddamn. Uh, Fujinami and Otani, they were both the only only high schoolers, notable high schoolers anyway. And obviously, they're both really good. And at the time, there was a lot of discussion about which guy would be better. Um, Otani was definitely more unique. Fujinami had better raw pitching stuff. And as it turns out, I would say I would say Otani is the better, I would say. Uh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um for his career, so it's basically ten years now, Fujinami has a three forty one ERA in nine hundred and ninety four innings, uh eight hundred and eighty six hits allowed, four hundred and fifty nine walks. And 1,011 strikeouts. So that comes out to a 4.2 walks per nine and a 9.2 strikeouts per nine. So walks are a little inflated. A 4.2 for your career is not really that great. Uh, He was a lot better earlier in his career than he has been in the second half. Basically, he peaked in 2016, and he's been up and down between the majors and the minors since then because of just... A lot of problems with wildness and a lot of problems with strike throwing. Think like Red Jankiel, you know. Stuff is great. He just has no clue where it's going. You know, the fastball sits in like the mid-90s. He could he could hit 100, and he pairs it with a, a slider and a splitter. And, um, you know, he made some minor pitch usage changes this year. He's been using the splitter more, and... His his walk rate went down a lot, so maybe assuming that he does sign with the team and comes to America, maybe they're able to kind of make him a more efficient pitcher with his pitch mix, and maybe that makes him better. Um, but as much as I've I've liked Fujinami, you know, since getting drafted, and he is talented and an intriguing guy, but I don't really see much of a place for him on the Mets you know the Mets already have Amantis to Oka and basically that is what Fujinami is right now a guy that throws really hard has one really good secondary pitch and no idea where anything's going yeah those guys are pretty common mm-hmm. um pretty readily available yeah 
Um, the second guy that is available this offseason is someone that everyone is probably familiar with, Tomoyuki Shigano, who was posted last year, the winter of 2021, but he failed to come to terms with anybody because uh, a bunch of different factors, basically um, COVID at the time, you know, like Omicron was going crazy and the window to work out a deal, you know, 30 days only. And he wasn't really able to work out a deal because of that. But he's a two-time Central League MVP, two-time A.G. Sawamura award winner, eight-time All-Star. He has a 234 ERA uh, for his career over 1,362 innings. He did all that with a mid-90s fastball, very high spin rate. Uh, a slider, a splitter, a big curveball, and excellent commander of everything. And after failing to sign with an American team last offseason, he signed a four-year contract with the Giants, and the contract had an opt-in for every year of that contract. So in 2021, he posted a 319 ERA in 115 innings. He dealt with some injury issues, and then he opted in. This past season, he had a 312 ERA in 147 innings. He was able to stay on the field, but the stuff did look a little diminished. Um, his strikeout rate was definitely the worst of his career. We have not heard anything about him opting out. I was looking through, you know, the Japanese, um, you know, the baseball Twitter and news sources that I follow and translating things in Japanese on those accounts, but I couldn't find anything about him opting out. He announced last year that he would be staying with the Giants basically about the same time last year. So odds are that he is staying with them again this year. But there is a chance, you know, you know, you don't know. He will be 33, though, um, next year. The numbers are declining. Assuming magically, let's say that tomorrow he decides that he does want to come to the U.S. I think the sail, the, the ship might have sailed. Yeah. I mean, two years doesn't really make too much of a difference, but these are two years where, you know, he's on the wrong side of 30. The stuff just hasn't been as good. The numbers just are not as good. Yeah, I agree. Not not optimal for him. Not what you want. No. All right, so the 2023 offseason now, there are a couple of guys. Um... First is a pitcher, the ace of the Oryx Buffaloes, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. He was drafted by Oryx out of high school in 2016. It took him a couple of years to establish himself. He bounced up and down between the Japanese majors and the Japanese minors, but he popped in 2018. He, he established himself as a good reliever. Um, and then in 2019, he established himself as an above-average starter. And in 2021, he went... 18 and 5 with a 139 ERA in 193.2 innings with 206 strikeouts and he won the AP Sawamura award which is you know the the MPB Cy Young award and he was named the Pacific League MVP just need to note that 193.2 innings at this point in the US is a lot what would you say the average pitcher is pitching now in like a really good durable starter maybe like 170 to 180 yeah, I think like 160 to 200 is yeah. probably about a – encompasses like 90% of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in Japan, you could probably shave about 40 innings off. I, you know, the, the best guys go maybe 130 to 160. So Yamamoto pitching 193 innings is is pretty wacky. Um, 
as good as he was in 2021, he basically did that same exact thing this past season. Almost identical numbers. Um, he went 15-5. and five. He had a 168 ERA and 193 innings and 205 strikeouts. So uh, he led the league in uh, second time in wins in ERA and strikeouts. So he, he won a second consecutive Triple Crown. He won a second consecutive Sawamura Award. And he won a second consecutive uh, MVP. And it was the first time in MVP history, which is basically 100 years, that a pitcher did that in back-to-back seasons. He He's a good pitcher, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Fastball sits in the low to mid-90s. It peaks in like the mid high to mid-90s, almost 100. He pairs it with a splitter, which is his best secondary pitch, a cutter, a big loopy curveball. And he has like 60 to 70 command. So it's like average to, I mean, it's like above average to like plus. He is, he's basically Kodai Senga with better control of everything. Um, he's going to meet all of the international free agent requirements to be posted after the 2023 season. And the Yankees have reportedly already expressed interest in him. So maybe they have some insider information. Um, maybe they're just kind of grandstanding and it's wishful thinking, but either way, um, any team that might acquire him, odds are he's going to be pretty good. Definitely would be excited if he was on the Mets. Yeah. Most of these guys, honestly, at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, the second notable guy that's going to be available that winter He's uh, the first and only Korean player on this list that I made here. He's also one of only two position players, um, Jung Ho Lee. He's the son of Jung Bom Lee, who is basically one of the best players in KBO history in like the mid-90s and early 2000s. Uh, he was drafted by the Nexon Heroes in the 2017 draft, and he made his debut for them immediately. And he's the first player in KBO history, which goes back to... Uh, 1981, but he was the first player in KBO history to get drafted out of high school and then play a full season every single game in his debut season. Um, Obviously, you know, you have to be good in order to stay in the lineup, and he was pretty good. He hit 324, 395, 417. He was rookie of the year, and he has basically been putting up similar numbers in the years since. He's a six-year veteran. And he has a cumulative 342, 407, 494 uh, batting line with the Heroes, 58 home runs, 63 stolen bases. And we love to see this 334 walks to 281 strikeouts. By and far the best uh, position player in Korea right now. He is the reigning MVP. And... There has been a lot more difficulty of hitters coming from Asia and, you know, being able to maintain a high level of play when they come to the U.S. And that's been even more pronounced players coming from the KBO to the MLB. Um, you know, Nippon Professional Baseball, Japan, the MPB, that is generally considered like quadruple A, you know, a, a step even higher, I guess. Um KBO, its talent level is generally considered like somewhere between double A AA and triple A. So the, the 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 
the amount of the, the level of competition there and the talent level of the hitters and pitchers is uh, a bit lower than in Japan, which is why. But um, getting back to Lee, though, there's I think that there's a good chance that, you know, he's not maybe going to be the uh, National League MVP or AL MVP. But I think he could carve himself out a nice little career, kind of like how, you know, um, Jung Ho Gong, he did. He had a pretty solid couple of years before he had his off the field issues and and disappeared but uh lee is much more mechanically sound than than gong was his swing is less noisy it's more balanced his issue though is um a lot of ground balls it's like over 50 percent ground balls that's not going to work in the u.s at all and doesn't really have the best track record against above average velocity in korea so you know that you know it's going to be exacerbated even more in the U.S., where above-average velocity is basically the norm. I, I you know, uh, how do you define you know, just a random conceptual thing? How do you define above-average velocity? Like, what is your threshold? Um, usually like above ninety-six. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, in today's game. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, when I think above average, I think, like, maybe above 94. And, like, today's day and age, that's basically, like, average at this point, which is crazy. But, yeah, Lee is, um, you know, far from a slam dunk, but there is a lot to like. He knows how to hit. He's got some power. He's a, he's a good fielder who can play all three outfield positions. Um, strong arm. And we know that Brendan Nemo is going to be here for hopefully the rest of his long and, and prosperous major league career. But when Lee is going to be available, Mark Canna is his contract is going to be going. Um, and I looked at that outfield free agent class and it is not good at all. It Give is terrible. Names. Uh, I think like Ian Happ was like the the top. Uh, free agent of that class. I like Ian Happ, but that that yeah, not a <laughs> no, 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 not. He's more of an infielder that can 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 kind of play in the outfield. Um, Dexter Fowler. Oh God. Um, Joey Gallo. Okay. Who's is I I guess yeah, you yeah, but these these are good guys. First. You you wouldn't necessarily you know think they would be. You know, the best guy. Yeah. Um, and then majority of those guys, you know, like, sure, they play center field, but you really have to ask, air asterisk that center field really hard. So Lee might have himself a, a stronger market than you might think just because he can play center field and he, he's the only one in the entire <laughs> class that can. But, yeah, he, he might be... Uh, his his market might be interesting just to see how that evolves if he decides to come here at all, which, again, you know, nobody knows. It's a mystery. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Um, looking now at the 2024 offseason. I was starting to get. Now we're starting to get pretty far. And the first name, and really the only notable name, is a guy that I think we certainly will know, and, and a lot of other people listening definitely will, Carter Stewart. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was drafted in the 2018 MLB draft. He was a big-time high school prospect out of Florida. The Braves took him with their first-round pick, which was eighth overall. And he ended up not signing with them because it's kind of a assimilation similar to Kumar Rocker. You know, the Braves saw some red flags in his medicals, even though they didn't really affect him that much when he was able to pitch. And they offered him a much lower deal than clearly he wanted. So he declined the uh, their their contract and he played for a Juco that season. And then he signed with the Fukuoka South Bank Hawks, which is Kodai Senga's former team. He signed a six-year deal in May 2019, and that first year he spent on their minor league team, and then he split the 2021 season on the minor league team and their major league team. And then this past season, 2022, he spent all of it on their minor league team. Um, with the Hawks, their major league Hawks, he has a 6.08 ERA in 23.2 innings over 11 relief outings, 21 hits allowed, 21 walks, and 36 strikeouts. And basically, it's not an issue of stuff. It's an issue of control, which is why he has only pitched, you know, so 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 few innings. He's walked 21 and 23 major league innings, and then in the minor leagues, he's pitched 107.1 innings, and he has 68 uh, walks. So it's just control, control, control with him. Um, the stuff is still good. The, the fastball still sits in the mid-90s. His curveball is still really good. And, you know, he doesn't really have a particularly advanced third pitch. Um, he he threw a, a changeup in America. And in Japan, they're big on splitters and two-seam fastballs. So maybe, you know, in the next couple of years or so, he might add one of those to his uh, arsenal. But we'll see. But he's he's entering his age 23 season. Um, he'll be 26 when and you know, when this contract expires, and if he decides to come back to the U.S. and pitch, there's uh, a lot of variables. You know, we're basically in uncharted territory here as it is because he, Carter Stewart, is like the first notable player ever to say "fuck it" to the MLB and <laughs> and, the, and its developmental system and go elsewhere. So. Who really knows like what his market might look out, but if he doesn't take any real strides forward, he's basically going to be a 26-year-old with major control problems and big-time stuff. So the amount of interest that he might get there is going to be a lot different if he you know, is able to get his stuff under control and throw strikes and start throwing you know, a starter's workload and is able to be average or better while doing everything, so... 
who knows what his market might look like because it's so far and there's so many variables. But I was kind of disappointed to see how little he's fetched since uh, signing there. I didn't really, you know, in the last yeah, couple of years. I remember when he first uh, came back or when he first started. Um, I remember he was throwing hard. You know, it seemed like, like a triumph. But, you know, since then. Yeah. I haven't really followed, you know, Japan baseball as closely as I did, you know, when the Mets were not as good as they are now. Um, but, yeah, like, I didn't really, like, man, he really has not pitched that much. And, and, and also from a player's point of view, I mean, we saw, we all saw how kind of in real time, how Kumar Rocker like got screwed. Not yeah. that there was not, I mean, yeah. Saying that he got screwed is not the right terminology, I guess, because the Mets made a decision based on whatever medical information they had. So it's not like they were just like, eh, we don't want you anymore. Yeah, like there was something going on in the background, but it sucks that he basically got screwed out of being able to pitch a year earlier because, you know, he did get drafted this past season by the Texas Rangers. I think he got like a million dollar bonus. Something like that. Yeah, so, I mean, he did get paid, just, A, not as much as he did with the Mets, um, and he did basically waste a year of his life. It would be kind of cool to see, you know, I don't know, some sort of... Uh, path, I guess, you know, that, that more players might be able to take to say, you know, what if, they, if they're not offered enough money or whatever the issue is when they get drafted... To, to you know have them go to another country would be and build up their value there would be you know good for the players able you know good for them to a do what they want to do and b to kind of build up their value and not just have to worry about like oh well i'm an unsigned senior so i'm at the mercy of you know whatever teams might want to throw whatever morsels and crumbs they want to give me you know yeah so he's basically the only notable player in the 2024 offseason. Now the 2025 offseason. And this is going to be one hell of an offseason, if we make it that far, because 2025 is a long time from now. And honestly, look at, look, looking at some of these dates and the years, you know, it feels crazy to be discussing some of these numbers. Like, I see 2025 offseason and the 2026 season and... It's making me scared and anxious and old, you know, like, <laughs> holy shit. But um, first big name in the uh, 2025 offseason is going to be Roki Sasaki, who is arguably the best pitcher in Japan right now. Um, he almost had a storybook career in high school. He basically emerged as a dominant pitcher, pitching for his hometown high school uh, team. And then his, in his third year, he was the ace of the team. And he pitched the team um, into the finals of the Marcosian, but he was kept out of the finals because he had already thrown, you know, almost 500 pitches in the span of a couple of weeks, whatever. And his school lost, so he almost he almost got that uh, really desired Koshian win. But I mean, honestly, I have to kind of call foul here. Like almost 500 pitches in the span of a couple of weeks. Who cares, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's not Grishin. But um 
2020, he was eligible, excuse me, 2019, he's eligible to be drafted, and he was selected by a bunch of different teams, four of them, and his rights were won by the Chiba Latte Marines, and he didn't pitch in 2020, so he made his debut in 2021, and he posted a 227 ERA in 63.1 innings, with 51 hits allowed, 16 walks, and 68 strikeouts, which is definitely a great result for a 19-year-old. Um Definitely left you wanting more, though, because the team was protecting his arm and limiting his innings, which is actually kind of atypical uh, in Japan. But, you know, they saw what they had. So this past season, he was uh, even better. But the same thing kind of happened. The Marines limited the amount of pitches that he threw because he is 20. But he was an all-star for the first time. He posted a 202 ERA in 129.1 innings with 80 hits allowed, 23 walks, and 173 strikeouts. So that is actually a 1.6 walk per nine and an even 12 strikeouts per nine, to put that in context, which is pretty good, I think. Um, on April 10th, which was his second start of the season, he threw a perfect game against the Oryx Buffaloes. It was the first perfect game that was thrown in Japan since 1994. Uh, he struck out 19 batters in total. And at one point, he struck out 13 in a row, which actually beats the MLB record that Tom Seaver, uh, Aaron Nola, and Corbin Burns have. And on top of that, his game score for that game was 106. And that also beats out Kerry Wood, the, uh, the, the, the Kerry Woods game, which had a game score of uh, 105. So... You'd think that's where he's going to stop, right? No. In his next start, he throws eight more perfect innings against the Nippon Ham Fighters. And basically, the manager took him out. Um, I couldn't find how many pitches he had thrown. But a perfect game followed by eight perfect innings, that's probably the closest that we're ever going to get to see um, somebody you know, match Johnny Vandermeer's record probably like ever. Yep. I mean, per- th- throwing a perfect game is so random to begin with, and then doing doing it twice is, like, insane. But he almost did it. And I wish I could, you know, read Japan, read Japanese or been in Japan or something to, like, see what the media reception of all that was because, I don't know, man. How do you take somebody out after that? Unless he was, like, completely dead, which, I, I you know, again, just not enough information here, but... I would have said, if I was the manager, I would have said, fuck it, just do it. Live with the consequences. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of... That's kind of what happened with Matt Harvey. Yeah, kind of. In 2015, yeah. But you know what? Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. Um, but Sasaki, you know, he is very dominant fastball. It sits in the upper mid to upper 90s. It's it's topped out as high as 102 before. And it has a uh, pretty high spin rate. And then he mixes that with a plus splitter and an average to above average kind of slider cutter hybrid pitch. And really, the only knocks on him is that his command of his secondary pitches right now are not as snug as you'd want it to be. But he's 20 years old, you know. Name me, name me a 20-year-old that does have a good uh, good command of, of, of this third pitch, you know? The more kind of concerning thing about him, though, is his health might be an issue. Um, 
He's 6'2", 185, a little bit lean, but he's had some minor aches and pains in the past. And you couple that with his his delivery and his frame and everything, he might not be able to like soak up innings. And his delivery is kind of violent. You know, it's it's not like maybe K Rod violent, but K Rod was also like stocky and thick, and he could kind of do that. Sasaki is, I don't want to say he's like thin because that's a weird thing to call like a professional athlete, but he's. He's thin, I guess. Um, but it's a high leg kick, really long arm, arm action in the back. He has a wrist wrap. A lot of the power looks like it's coming straight from his arm. You know, there's uh, a lot of a lot to be worried about. But you know, he's still super young, so who knows? Maybe he doesn't even want to come to the U.S. But um, he's definitely the best pitcher in Japan right now, and we will be following his uh, career with much interest. Oops, and my birds are going crazy over there. And last and certainly not least is a guy I think that we should all be familiar with since we spent a bad part of like two years in, in 2020 and 2021 closely following the occult swallows when we didn't have baseball. Our old friend, third baseman, Munitaka Murakami. And in 2020, when we first started following the swallows, he was coming off of a... Um, uh, a rookie of the year season where he hit 231, 332, 481, 36 home runs. Not bad. In 2020, he hit 307, 427, 585 with 28 home runs. He followed that up with two consecutive MP awards. So awesome. Um, 2021, he hit 278, 408, 566 with 39 home runs. And this past season, he hit 318. 458, 711 with 56 home runs. So if you're slugging 711, I think you're doing something right. And his 56 home runs, if that sounds like a lot, it, it is. It is the second most in MPB history, and it is the most ever hit by a Japanese player. Uh, the Japanese home run record has been a touchy subject in Japan for a long time. It was established by Sadaharu Oh in 1964, and it basically sat there for decades until like the 80s when it became a thing for you know major leaguers on the cusp to go to Japan to keep on playing. And in 1985, Randy Bass, he challenged the record, but he came up one home run short. In 2021, Tuffy Rhodes, he tied it, but he wasn't able to beat 55. And then the very next year, in 20, uh, 2002, uh, Alex Cabrera also hit 55, but he wasn't able to break the record. And the problem, if you're conspiratorial-minded, is that in all three of those cases, the players were playing in their last series against teams that were intentionally not giving them stuff to hit, you know? And what makes this really conspiratorial is, you know who the manager of all of those teams were, all three cases? Do you want me to answer? Do you want to? <laughs> yes, go ahead. Sadahara O. Yes, that is, uh, that is none other than the home run king himself was the manager. And, you know, everybody claims that he, he didn't give orders not to throw strikes, but, you know, come on. But in 2013, with like, 
basically an entire month of the season left to go. Vladimir Balintien, he tied the record. And it's not like every team is going to intentionally walk in for like a month. So the inevitable did happen. And Balintien did break the record. He shattered it. Um, he hit five more home runs, 16 total. But getting back to Murakami, he was also kind of in a similar situation. He had about two weeks left of the season or so to go, and he was at 55. But he, he slumped. He went homers for like 50 at-bats. He was stuck at 55. And finally, on the last day of the season, he um, he's able to hit one and break O's record. So he is the Japanese player that holds the record for most home runs. In his five seasons, Murakami is a career 281, 405, 583 hitter with 160 home runs in 553 games with 387 walks and 565 strikeouts. So he's got plus plus power. He's got an above average eye. Uh, the hit tool might be exploited by MLB pitchers. You know, his he, he is definitely weak up in the zone. And that's something that, you know, more and more pitchers are kind of learning to exploit nowadays. Um, but he definitely seems a guy that is going to. A guy that's going to just be really good in the U.S. Defensively, he doesn't really add much value. Um, he's basically he's he's basically a Vientos. He can be a bad defensive third baseman because he has experience and he knows how to play the position. But realistically, he's a first baseman slash D.H. And just a couple of days ago, actually, he signed an extension with the Swallows. It's a three-year extension, and it specifically says that he must be posted after the season. And he's gone on record as saying the sooner he can come to the MLB, the better. So we know that he is definitely coming to the U.S. Uh, God knows what the what the 2025 offseason is going to look out look like. Uh, who the hell knows who's going to be on the Mets at that point. But Murakami is already a star. He's going to be a star. The Mets, literally every other team in the world, would be great with him on it. So we definitely want Murakami. And being people that, you know, we've been either in-depth or just kind of nominally, like, following the Swallows for what is it like two years now? Like, I feel like we are, uh, what's the word? I can't, we're hipsters. We're, we're Murakami <laughs> hipsters. We knew about him before everyone else. I mean, isn't that essentially what prospect following is? We're the, the baseball <laughs> hipsters. Yeah, I guess. I mean, if you look at some of the people who are the biggest baseball prospect followers, you know, in, in at least our circles, I think there are a lot of hipsters. So that kind of yes. makes sense. Go figure. But this is, you know, just a, uh, you know, tidbit of some of the guys that could potentially come over in the next couple of years. With the exception of, like, basically just Murakami, who who stated that he is definitely coming. We don't know if any of these other guys are coming. You know, uh, some of these other pitchers might say, nah, no thank you. You know, a guy like Rocky Suzuki, he's actually, it's actually kind of sad. He basically lost his entire family in the, well, most of his family, I should say, in the uh, tsunami in 2011. Okay. Yeah, so he might say, you know what, I just want to stay close to my family because it's all I have. And, you know, a guy like that, all that talent, it's not that he's not talented, he just might not want to come. A guy like 
um, Carter Stewart might just be like, hey, I'm doing decently in Japan, and this is awesome, and screw you guys. Um, some of the play like Fujinami, who's who's already has been posted, he might not come up with a, a deal that's good enough for him, and he might say, all right, I'm just going to stay in Japan where I am now. So a lot of, you know, who, who knows if any of these guys come to the U.S. and play, but... As we started out this whole segment, it's just nice and refreshing that the Mets are finally interested after decades of of seeing star after star after star after star go to other teams and, like, not even a peep. All right, well, that is the show for the week. Um, If anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complexgreens at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I am at Steve Seiper. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at SadMetSeasonSZ. Subscribe to the podcast or forget your podcasts from. Rate and review it. And, of course, we thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. And until then, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, and, of course, love the Mets. Love the Mets. Love the Mets.